Welcome to A Legacy of Generosity, a podcast produced by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. You'll hear lessons learned, trends, and best practices from experienced gift planning professionals to help you succeed in increasing legacy gifts for your organization. We are grateful to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations. To learn more about the work they do, visit greaterminnesota.net. Now, here are your hosts. Hello, I'm Mark Benkin, and we're here with my co-host, Christy Ackley, and our guest, Steve Boland. Steve is a nonprofit veteran with, with over 25 years of experience, helping charities grow with new ideas in fundraising and communications, and is the managing partner of Next in Nonprofits. Mark, I am so excited to have Steve with us today. I heard him back a few years ago talking about crowdfunding before it was even a really well-known term, and I'm just continually impressed by how well Steve stays ahead of emerging trends. I think our listeners are in for a real treat today as we talk about segmenting communications and cultivating those legacy gifts. Yes, this is going to be a great episode, so let's dive in. Steve, welcome to the show. Well, Mark and Christy, thanks so much for asking me to spend some time with you today. It's a really interesting topic. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, Steve, would you be so kind as to share a little more about your background with with our listeners today? Uh, Absolutely. So uh, before I started Next in Nonprofits in uh, 2013 now, so it's getting to be some years ago, uh, I had been in roles at nonprofit organizations, more smaller organizations where the executive director really had to wear a number of hats at the same time. You're you're a fundraiser, you're a communications chief, you're the um, staff manager, all of those things that need to be done. And uh, dove into that from a place of wanting to see, you know, social good thrive, but without lots of, uh, you know, training or tools at my disposal. This is, uh, as I love to joke with my kids, you know, way back in the 20th century in the second millennia, um, you know, there wasn't as much information about uh, how we do the work of supporting charitable missions as I think we're fortunate to be accumulating and sharing today. So I've been doing this for a while, but had to kind of bootstrap a little bit in some of these ideas with always an eye on there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, the the way that we're doing it now feels a little frustrating and a little sluggish and not quite what we'd like and uh, always hoping to find that next new thing. So as Chris, you can tell you, I've been uh, excited to bring those ideas to the fore when I can, both through my practice at Next In Nonprofits and just through uh, conferences and other ways to share in community. So Steve, We know that legacy gifts almost never appear just out of the blue. They need to be identified and stewarded over time. How do you begin thinking about communicating to potential legacy donors differently from other communications? Yeah, I think this is such an important beginning place when we talk about uh, how we can, you know, segment what we do to uh, address an audience that may be in a position to think differently about how they support charitable work from other people in community. Uh, but if we talk to them all as if they are the same uh, group, 
you, beloved community, support us, beloved charity, in our work. So here is the same information to everyone, regardless of your position, place in life, and what's going on. So I, I think that that's a common uh, tactic because it is a little bit more work from the charity to have to think, well, wait a minute, what if we talk to people differently based on where they were against our mission? How if we help them identify themselves to us in segments to say, you know, I may be the more casual donor that um, is is not going to be a large dollar supporter, but I'm kind of a regular believer in what you're doing. And that's one kind of information I could support. Or I haven't yet become a donor, which is, of course, the, the, the position for most charities when they look at who they're communicating to through newsletters and social channels and whatnot. Most of those people aren't yet donors, but, you know, maybe with the right information and the right leads, they, they could find their way into that place. But then there's this other, and I think, you know, smaller group of people who uh, may be in a position to think about legacy giving in a very real way. But if all they're getting is the same newsletter saying, you know, please, uh, you know, give to us on Give to the Max Day and, and please make a year-end gift, that's probably how they're going to respond, uh, is by taking advantage of those generally well-understood tactics of, you know, you're asking for a gift at the end of the year. I get that. Here's a check. Keep going out and doing good work. Not very many people are going to voluntarily step forward and say, well, wait a minute, I, I might be able to do more with an estate gift or uh, other kind of uh, planned giving instrument. Could, who do I talk to there to, to see you know, what we might do together? That doesn't usually come out of the blue. Mm -hmm. So I think we as charities need to start thinking of how do we offer those opportunities for people to self-identify, yeah, maybe that is the right thing for me and I'd like to learn more, but it's not a conversation for everybody in the channel because if we start the newsletter with hey if you're planning your legacy gift here's how we'd love you to you know consider learning more and, and getting involved with us most donors aren't planning that and they mm -hmm. might tune out and we lose them so i think our first thing is in beginning this process is to think about how are we going to allow uh, different um, messages to go out to different audiences and allow those audiences to self-identify like, yeah, I, I might be the right person for that. I'd like to learn more. Or nope, that's not really who I am. I don't want to be spending my time learning about that kind of thing. So please don't put it in front of me or I might end up unsubscribing from you. And giving people the choices to do that. And I think that's very exciting. It's so interesting, uh, Steve, just to hear kind of the evolution there of, of, of segmentation. I, as Christy knows, uh, I came from the corporate world before I got into fundraising, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And segmentation was a huge uh, thing that, you know, was really, a, 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 you know, a, a very distinct and, and focused way of which we, you know, identified our customers and then tried to tailor our, our messaging our frequency of messaging and sales call and communications, et cetera, you mm -hmm. know, to each respective segment. And when you get it right, um, it really is like that key that unlocks the door. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's harder to do um, oftentimes than, than you really think. And so I guess the question I, I, um, you know, come up with is, is, you know, how can a nonprofit, um, or what tools can a nonprofit use to to really help segment their communications so that so that that those communications are going to be that key that really unlocks that donor and gets them into a you know a, a, a 
a cultivation, you know, mindset with us. Right. Now, I, I think it's the good news for us is that those tools are actually fairly accessible and affordable and may already be in use by many, many charities and not understanding that the tool is right there. So mm-hmm. um, let's talk about email communication is probably our most important channel to reach people for cost-effective versus return measurements, right? That um, social channels are nice because they're free, but boy, the the ability to actually reach people are, is, is pretty <laughs> limited and challenging. Um, you know, postal mail has got some some great things to say about it, but boy, can that be expensive. So email being that little sweet spot of um, doesn't cost very much, uh, it has a better um, actual connection rate with people. And a lot of charities are using tools like MailChimp or Constant Contact or Eye Contact or Emma or one of these sorts of things. And segmentation tools are already built into those uh, tools if you know how to look for them and use them and spend the time to learn about them. They're designed to be able to use things like tags, for example, to help you create groups of people within a single list so that it's still possible to send the one email message to everybody to say, oh my gosh, there's a big urgent need for this emergency thing and we want everybody to know about it. Let's push out an email to the whole list, sure, but also easy to... Uh, say, we want to create some segments in our list for potential legacy donors or only one-time donors or people that have yet to donate so that we talk to them differently. And when we use those tags, we can use that free MailChimp subscription for the first 2,000 donors or whatever, or um, you know, maybe we're paying for something in constant contact to allow our people to tell us who they are, what do they want, um, how can we communicate with them. Uh, that's one set of tools is to look at establishing something like tags within your email um, messaging client. If you happen to have already taken that next step and you've integrated a, a fairly good email communication strategy into a donor relationship management platform, uh, uh, something like a, a big CRM, that can be the monster Salesforce implementations or it can be very small little green light type implementations. But a lot of charities may have taken that next step of we have a donor database. It connects to our email function in some meaningful way. How are we connecting those people um, in that database so that we are choosing these are the people that we think might be able to um, step up, but we have to ask them, are you ready for this? Uh, is this the, the conversation we can have with you? And here's the tool already integrated into that donor database that we have that allows us to segment potential legacy givers as well as folks that you know maybe haven't given at all yet or whatever the other categories are. Um, you can, of course, spend lots and lots and lots of very sophisticated dollars on doing this extremely well. But the good news for the majority of charities that are maybe just stepping into legacy giving or, or don't have a long history with it is you probably have a good tool to help you segment that stuff already. You just haven't looked into that space to turn that function on. So getting that going is really a matter of staff time and commitment. Steve, you've got a blog post about choice in email communications. In addition to different content, as people go down a path towards legacy giving, how do you talk about frequency? Yeah, this this is a little bit of a um, hot button for me in particular because I I often tell the story and Christy, you may have heard this one over the years of uh, being on the board of directors for a charity that I just love and have given a lot of time to, um, and they absolutely thought it was the right strategy to just pummel people with messages mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again, and I unsubscribed from my own charity's uh, email messages because it was just too much, and I'm I, I'm not able to. 
throttle it down. So if the choice you're giving your users is drink from the fire hose or get nothing at all, I think you're going to get a fair number of people that will eventually unsubscribe to nothing at all. And that doesn't help us bring that channel forward of who might eventually become interested enough to consider some kind of plan giving tools or, or legacy giving options. So I think that um, this too, like the idea of segmenting communications on topic, is allowing people to segment communications on frequency, to give the user the choice to say, hey, we've got our once a month newsletter that helps you stay in touch with what we're doing, learns a little bit about our impact, maybe has some links to next steps you can take. Um, and that's one option. But for the super fan, we have our weekly newsletter that goes really in depth on some things. And, and you're allowed to, to subscribe to either of those or both if you want, um, based on who you feel your connection is with this work so that we don't lose you completely if you want to be a less frequent connector. Um, but we allow a deeper relationship for those people who are like, no, I'm in. I believe in what you're doing. I'll need to hear more about it so I can act on it. So go ahead and, and talk to me a little bit more. And we can merge those two things of both topics and frequency and say, these are the people that will be on the slower path towards examining whether they want to talk about a legacy gift over time. That they've identified like, well, you know, I'm still working, but um, I, I am nearing retirement and I'm seeing kind of what my ability to make those gifts might look like. And I'm starting to think about it, um, but I'm not ready to commit to anything like that yet. So a slow trickle. Give me a quarterly newsletter about what's going on in that world, how things are changing. And of course, post-COVID, so much has changed for people uh, in terms of required minimum distributions and how they may be um, looking at, at their wealth growing over time and whatnot, that it's good for us to give them that slow trickle of just for you, potential legacy giver, here's some things that impact your decisions, here's how we're doing work in community. Uh, and not have to put that content into the more frequent newsletters where some other donors who are maybe not anywhere in a position to think about those gifts may be going, oh my gosh, there they go about the legacy giving again. I don't have this time to pay attention to that. Um, so if we think about frequency as a choice of the user and go, you know what, it's a little bit more staff work to do a, a quarterly connection to potential legacy donors on those topics and the monthly newsletter and maybe even a weekly update for people. But if we invest a little bit of that staff time or skilled volunteers, doesn't all have to be staff, um, time in giving those options to people, they can step forward at the time that's ready. And then they maybe move from that quarterly, you know, yeah, I was learning about it to that, you know what, mm -hmm. I'd like to talk to a, a giving officer. Uh, who do I reach in your office? Because I think I'm ready to start th figuring this out. Uh, and that's the the option we want those users to have to connect with us in this segmentation thing of both topic and frequency. It seems like uh, yeah, you've, you've provided here a, just a great segue um, to talk about, you know, that integration of online and offline communications. In other words, you know, the stuff that's coming out via email, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, large systemic e emailings or communications that are going out to to our givers, coupled with then the one-on-one -on -one individual gift officer interactions with donors. How do you connect that in-person stewardship with those larger system-driven communications so that it's all working together? 
Yeah. I, I think that, again, most charities don't have the staff that they would like to have to reach out to every potential legacy donor and say, I'd like to sit down and talk about your commitment to this work and where you are and whatnot with, with everybody. I mean, if you you know spent an hour and a half having virtual coffees with every potential person you could meet, the, you know, there's just very little time to actually get anything done and, and help people secure those gifts. So we need to think about the broader communication tools as helping develop that connection with potential donors. But when the time is right, to um, use some of the automated tools that are there to flag the, the gift officers or the staff or, you know, the skilled volunteers that maybe are involved in the next step meetings and say, um, we really believe that these people are the next ones that are uh, ready for that in-person connection uh, moment. And much as we talked about the idea of you probably have tools at your disposal now that help segment those communications things, it's you know your, your constant contacts or whatever, or your donor relationship management system, there's probably something in that donor relationship management database, even the small players have these things, to assign stewards to people and allow them to see the connections through the communications channels of the people that are getting those messages. Uh, so if we assign a steward, and it might be a staff person, but it could be a board member, it could be uh, a, another skilled volunteer, uh, to say, here's 50 people that we think are on that track that have signed up for the newsletter to learn more about legacy giving, that have uh, come to a virtual breakfast to learn more about legacy giving, whatever. Um, but more importantly than just here's some names, here's how they're interacting with our communications channels. Um, these folks are opening every email the day they get it. Um, and we can see that in the metrics of those tools like that, that are put together with Constant Contact and MailChimp and whatnot to, to go, oh, wow, these are the four-star responders. These are the five-star people. They open up messages. They maybe click through those messages. They might even share those messages fairly quickly after getting them and pretty much every time we send them. Those are the ones that are kind of raising their hand to say, I'm very excited about what you're doing. I prioritize it. And I'm the one that maybe when it's ready for that steward to think about who might my next uh, coffee meeting be with, uh, they can go, I need some of my four-star people, my five-star um, communications openers. And I'm going to pick up the phone and go, wow, we're, we're really excited about how often we're hearing from you um, about the stuff we're, we're talking about in community. Could we have a conversation privately uh, to just begin that process and, and reach out to them? So it does help us to use the analytics of the segments to identify some of those potential folks. And of course, if you're just starting on legacy giving, it also helps you build that opportunity to go, well, I haven't identified any potential legacy donors yet. What do I do? You may go in and start looking at, well, these folks give every single December and they give what we consider a meaningful amount every single December. I'm like, well, let's start asking them. Would you be willing to talk with us about legacy giving? We have some specific information for our supporters about that. We have a special newsletter, maybe, whatever it might be, um, and start inviting people that way. So even if you haven't done the segmentation work yet, you can still use the engagement measurements to help people learn more about what you're doing and uh, hopefully become uh, engaged in a path where that next step of talking to a person uh, in real time, if not in real space yet, as we record this in April of uh, 2021, we're, we're not all in real space yet, um, but looking forward to getting back to those days when, when that donor coffee is actually in person to learn more about what's important to them and how they might be able to fit in. 
Steve, you're giving some really great advice here. And I'm sure that some of our listeners are going, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Okay, great. Got my action step for what I'm going to do now. And then there's probably some of our listeners who are going, oh my gosh, there's still so much I don't know. I'm going to need help with this. What kind of additional like resources or um, you know, support can you at Next in Nonprofits provide for those listeners who are wanting to dive into this space but are still a little bit unsure as to where they could go with it? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question to think about um, all of the outsourced tools and, and people that have spent more time learning about what um, common systems can do and strategies to use them where, you know, if you're a traditional nonprofit organization, you don't have loads of staff that specialize in, you know, how do I know about uh, who's the most frequent openers of my emails and which ones are being forwarded and whatnot, to set up a, a short conversation uh, with a, a partner in community, a consultant. Um, there's lots of folks that do the type of work that we do at Next in Nonprofits to uh, help you identify from your own place here's what we've got so far, and here's maybe some next steps that your own systems could already help point to. And if you don't have those systems yet, then maybe the next step is identifying how do we get that uh, tool in place? Because maybe we didn't have it because we thought it was very expensive and challenging, uh, but in fact, those things are not as expensive as maybe folks fear. Um, if you see marketing from the large-scale players, um, the the big uh, blackboard uh, in- implementations, you go, well, we're not ready for that kind of cost. Uh, and you go, well, actually, there's many, many options that are um, functional and less expensive than some of those, and, and we can get you in. So if you're not yet familiar with it, you don't really have the big staff to, to task people to go um, have conversations with vendors directly, then I think uh, you know, picking up the phone to your local consulting community and saying, I just want a little bit of time to identify our next stage opportunities, and then we will take it with our skilled volunteers and small staff. Or alternatively, of course, you can always um, look for some outsourced help to uh, implement those things over time, too, where those people will um, help you identify, here's what was successful about that last campaign. Here's what it tells us about the donors that are um, interested in learning more. Here's how we might act on the information that we've just learned from that campaign um, and next things. And then you've got a little bit more support as you grow uh, your your work in legacy giving. Earlier, Steve, you you made reference to you know donors who have relationships with other donors. Um, yeah. And it, it really kind of sparked my curiosity because uh, at the institution that I work with, you know, we are in the process of identifying uh, donors who might be willing to be volunteers, uh, you know, as we move into the open phase of a, uh, of a campaign and or the public phase of a campaign. And so uh, wondering how. How you know, can this branching path in, in segmenting audiences, how can that help committed donors identify donors? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there that are really important to think about as um, charities look at their options moving through this. Um, one of which is that it may be that um, those people could help you 
um, broaden your potential pool of legacy givers and, and folks that might be connected even before they've made the commitment themselves. They might be thinking, you know, I think I want to get there. But as we all know, um, you know, making that final commitment of, uh, you know, resources is, you know, usually a longer process and, and takes some uh, in investment of time. So it could be that as they're considering and as they're um, moving forward in their own process, that we get past the, to that, that, uh, that stage we were just talking about where we're having that first in-person conversation or our next in-person conversation. And one of the things that we can offer those potential donors to help them find their way forward in, in considering a gift is to say, uh, you know, we find that, you know, people that have similar experiences to you are also really moved by this mission. Um, you know, in your case, Mark, of course, you know, maybe alumni, um, but, you know, in the case of any charity, there's going to be folks that are committed to it. And, and we know this about you in your commitment to our work. Um, you know, if you would be willing to help us connect to some of those other people, um, and to introduce us to them to talk about our work. Um, we think that could be really helpful for us, but also maybe really helpful for you to, you know, have a peer to talk with about, you know, boy, this this seems like a really good investment for, you know, my family to be making. Um, let's learn together. Let's go through this and understand more about what we're um, committing to and how we do it. And I think that asking people to consider who would you think about in your circle that um, values this type of work the way you do uh, has that double benefit of perhaps introducing some potential new donors to the charity, but also uh, helps solidify the thinking for that person when it's not just, well, of course, the major gift officer thinks I'm qualified. Sure, they do. They think that every <laughs> uh, person that comes through the door is the right person to give them a, a fairly meaningful legacy gift. Um, but when I sit down and talk with my friends, colleagues, other folks in space about this, um, I can have that conversation and together maybe we discover, right, we, we're all excited about this. Um, the first time I bring this up with uh, donors, sometimes they feel like, wait a minute, I don't want to ask other people for money. That feels weird. Um, and I always try to help them reframe that we're not asking them for money. We're giving them an opportunity to be part of something that means something to them. If this charitable work doesn't mean anything to you, then right, we're, we're the wrong fit and, and we shouldn't be speaking about this. And, and we'll say thank you for your time and kind of move on. But if you believe in what we're doing, and you want to be part of it, one way to do it is to be a donor. Another way to do it is to connect us to people in community that also share your belief and build that opportunity over time so that they get the same chance you have to really make a difference on something that matters to them. And I think that that's something that's a very different perspective of we're trying to browbeat money out of people that don't want to give it to us versus we really want to engage people that believe in this work so that they get to be part of changing a world in a way that matters to them. And if we can do that in a way that introduces people that could be good potential legacy donors that might be just other types of donors or supporters, they maybe they just turn out to be a, a volunteer with the organization instead. Um, everybody feels good about that interaction and it really may solidify that potential legacy donor like, right, my peers are also here. This makes sense. I should go. So helpful to uh, to keep that perspective. Uh, I actually had a, this this very conversation with uh, with a colleague of mine here this last week, and, and she was helping me understand that uh, it's it's much bigger than just you know asking a volunteer uh, to you know to help connect us to to other um, 
you know, to other potential uh, donors. It's really more about building engagement with the institution mm -hmm. and, and that in turn, it may help, you know, the volunteer themselves in their process of discernment as to, right. you know, whether or not, like you said, this is an investment they want to make. So, so thank you for, thank you for explaining that. Steve, I, I want to kind of reframe this just for a second here in everything that you're saying is amazing and sounds great. Um, but what I keep going back to is listening to other nonprofits talk about their potential legacy donors. And often I hear, well, I don't know how old my donors are. So how am I mm -hmm. supposed to segment which donors get this kind of communication? And what I'm hearing you say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing you say is to let those donors self-identify themselves as potential legacy donors. Right. And probably over that frequency question, that, that if they're you know um, not at a stage in their life where they're ready to commit to that, but they're maybe at a stage where they're starting to think about it because they're hearing about other gifts that impact work and they feel good about those, um, that we want to let people come in by segmenting by topic and frequency. So those folks that are thinking to themselves, right, I'm, I'm not ready to at my stage of life. And of course, it's not always about age specifically. It may be much more around, um, I'm more committed to work right now and I'm, I'm you know, still earning a lot uh, of what I'm bringing in and I really want to just be focusing on that. But eventually I may slow down. But of course there are others who, uh, you know, retire at 55 and look at their um, incoming, you know, pension or other types of resources and then go, you know what, some of the other resources I've gathered, maybe I'm not going to need as much of for my own needs. And I can start thinking about that at 58 years old or whatever. It doesn't have to be a necessarily hard cutoff of, you know, people that have hit the required minimum distribution age of, uh, um, you know, invested income or whatever are, are our prime targets. Sure, it makes sense to start talking to those people because they're really right in front of a decision. But I think it's a good idea for us to provide that that very long on-ramp. And this is challenging for professional fundraisers because often, you know, we're being measured on, you know, what meetings did you have this quarter? What meetings did you, um, you know, set up for next quarter? You know, who committed this year? Very, you know, time-sensitive performance measures versus how many more people are we getting into that pipeline so that when they are the ones that are eventually getting a little bit more engaged, a little bit ready, more ready to have that first conversation, we've already been having uh, slow trickle conversations with them for four or five years or more. And they're committed to, if I'm going to do legacy giving, I really think that this organization that's allowed me that slow on-ramp is the one I'm going to go to. And we've got to, uh, hopefully, as, as folks working in the profession, allow ourselves that kind of lead-up time to say, what are we doing to not only take care of folks that I may be stewarding today, but that my successors are going to be stewarding 10 and 15 years from now, or you know, however long it might take for people to get into that place in their lives where they really are ready to commit. Great analogy uh, there, Steve. I love the on-ramp uh, visual. And, uh, you know, again, I had another colleague of mine in, a, in recent months, you know, talking about or made the comment how we stand on the shoulders of, you know, gift officers that were doing this work right. several years ago at our institution. Mm -hmm. We're yep. closing gifts, Some, you know, in, in some cases that, you know, those relationships uh, and engagement and cultivation started five years ago, 
10 years ago by predecessors. And conversely, you know, we're doing the same. There's there's relationships and and uh, and cultivation that we're doing that very likely is going to be, you know, resulting gifts that will be closed by other gift officers later on down the road several years from now. So uh, that keeping that long view is so important in this work, it would seem to me. And I hope measurable and things that um, become rewarded for doing. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the challenges I see in fundraising in general, not legacy giving specifically, that uh, the pressure of, boy, this year's budget, you know, next year's budget, these are the things that are right in front of us, um, maybe where, you know, staff are, are really pressured to spend their time. And I would hope that we would be able to look at the metrics that we're talking about in these segmentation channels and bring those up to um, the organization's board of directors or senior leadership or whatever and say, here's what we're doing to prep for success in 2030, in 2040. And, you know, here's how we think that this is going to help us continue to impact this mission and grow this mission over time. Uh, and I, I would love to see the day where I feel like that's a meaningful part of evaluation of staff to say, wow, you're not just thinking about uh, today's immediate kind of pressing need, but how are we prepping for the future? Um, and of course, most charities that I work with really want to be around having that impact in the future too. And, and hopefully they see that as valuable. Absolutely. Well, you've given us a lot to think about today, Steve. Um, before we go, we like to ask every guest this last question. What's the best advice you ever received? This is going to come off a little odd, I think, answering this question, but I'm going to go ahead and do it the way that I, I have responded to this in the past when people have asked me. And um, uh, uh, Ronnie Brooks, who um, worked with the Shannon Institute when, when that was at Wilder and now is kind of reemerging as an independent entity, helping to um, kind of cultivate long-term leadership uh, is their mission. Um, and uh, I had a very difficult work situation once, and she, she uh, came back to me and said, you know, everybody that I know that is is kind of worth their salt has been fired at least once. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, people that get fired, we have failed. You know, we have not made it. And the, I think having that vision of if you're not standing up, moving forward and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, sometimes other people get uncomfortable with that and it results in a relationship that doesn't work out and you need to find a, a better place where you can go. But the, the advice behind it that I think really mattered to me is Get uncomfortable. Um, push it a little bit. Get get out there and try to find something where you know maybe it, it makes other people around you a little challenging. But you're going to find that new tool, that new idea, a, a little bit easier if you're willing to step forward into that. So uh, embrace that challenge. Excellent advice, Steve. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing it with us and for our listeners. And we uh, we thank you for joining us today. I'm really grateful for the time, uh, Mark Christie. It's just um, exciting to be here. Thanks again. And for our listeners, we will um, share Steve's Next in Nonprofits website and his blog in our show notes. So if you want to connect with him, please go to our show notes and see how you can do that. Well, that's it for our show today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or follow Leave a Legacy Minnesota on LinkedIn to be notified of our future episodes. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we hope you join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Legacy of Generosity podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. For show notes and access to other free educational content, visit leavealegacymn.org and click Resource Library. Consider joining us as a member 
of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association for networking and comprehensive education. And connect with us on LinkedIn to share your feedback. Make it a great day.